Hi, welcome to Beatles Around the Bush. This is episode two, and it's our first Kate Bush episode. I'm Robert, and that's your cue. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. <laughs> He's Robert. <laughs> I was hoping that you would introduce yourself, but... <laughs> uh, I, I thought you were going to say something about who you were. Oh, man. Um, this is Robert. <laughs> Full stop. This is Sarah. Hi, Sarah. I'm Sarah. That's it. No, um, I'm Sarah, <laughs> comedy writer, author of Drama Queen, One Autistic Woman and a Life of Unhelpful Labels, which is why you will hear me refer constantly to everyone being autistic, because that is what we do. We try to recruit. Um, and I am a born again Beatles Beetle maniac, not Beatles maniac, but I've already got it wrong. So uh, uh -oh. obviously not a very good one. Um, and Rob, um, Rob is, is not just Robert. He is my best friend since the age of eight. And this is our podcast where we try to convert each other to our respective fandoms, um, having been talking about music since we were wee bands. Mm. Uh, I can't get away with saying that, but other people can and imagine that I sounded better. <laughs> We'll put a filter on it somehow and make it sound better. Um, a Scottish filter. Yeah. So this is this is actually not my first time talking about Kate Bush on a podcast. So um, I was on a podcast um, a couple of years ago uh, called Things Gay People Like, which I very much recommend. It, it, if you're gay, straight, bi, trans, anything, um, it is a really great podcast by my friend Kevin, who um, goes through... Yeah, seconded. Yeah, it's fantastic, isn't it? Who goes through mm. various things that gay people like, even though it's not a stereotype and we shouldn't stereotype, but he does it in a very respectful way. Um, and one of the topics was Kate Bush, and um, I was able for an hour... Well, actually, I think we chatted for four hours, but <laughs> it was cut down <laughs> It was cut down to one and a half hours. Um, we chatted Kate Bush, and uh, it was before the big Kate Bush revival uh, earlier this year. So um, we kind of were, were ahead of the ahead of the curve with um, talking all things Kate Bush uh, in 20 in the 2020s. Um, so I just want to give Kevin a little plug because he has a fantastic podcast. So do uh, listen to his if you like this one as well. And it's very, very enjoyable. I've also listened to it and it's fantastic. And, you know, talk about stereotypes, but also it's like it's kind of doing the opposite. Um, mm. because it's like hey these are things that individual gay people like yeah. and like here is the breadth and depth of interest in our community and we are not a monolith and that's really cool that's very true and it's not just music it's also sort of films and tv shows and yeah it's quite a, a quite a range of entertainment topics anyway we should get back to our podcast really shouldn't we um back to bush yes yeah, so um kate i think I want to just start by asking you because you you probably heard a bit about Kate Bush from me over the years, mm, but maybe, yeah. maybe not a huge amount. Um, so it would be interesting just to know what your understanding of the world of Kate Bush is at this stage. Okay, so my like my first and foremost understanding is she's that lady Rob likes. Yeah, um, like that was that's my first ever exposure to Kate Bush. That's, that's sort of for many years, I guess before. Before I, I guess a while back, you sent me a, a playlist of your favorite Kate Bush songs after I watched um, Stranger Things. Yeah. And before that, 
I'm a little bit embarrassed to say that my impression of Kate Bush was that she was kind of a novelty act, mm. like like the Wuthering Heights was like a novelty song or like, you know, that it, 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 I, I don't know. I, I hadn't really delved that deeply. Um, and I just knew that she was quirky and I knew the like the sort of core hits like Wuthering Heights and Babushka and, and Running Up That Hill and yeah. like... Um, my dad was really into Kate Bush and my mum could hit those high notes and that impressed him. And it was like one of those rare occasions where my parents got on. So like happy memories of Kate Bush, but really like hadn't had much exposure to her before, before I started knocking down your door going, can you please teach me about (laughs) Kate Bush? Um, So uh, I, I've really resisted temptation to start Googling and, um, and going down the rabbit hole because I want to be fresh for this. So that is what I know. Excellent. I know. Okay. That's good. So you're starting relatively fresh, a bit like me with the Beatles. So Mm. um, a a blank canvas um, on which I will paint all my uh, thoughts and favorites, I'm sure, but let's see where we get to. Um, Shall I give you a little Mm. bit of a, background to Kate to um, just to sort of set the scene just how she sort of came to the point where she released the album that we're going to be talking about today which is her debut album The Kick Inside Um, so that that album was in 1978 so let's just take it back 20 years to 1958 which is when Kate was born um, in Bexley Heath in Kent and her, her father was an English doctor her mother was an Irish nurse um, and she grew up in an, an old farmhouse in a place called East Wickham in Welling, which is also in Kent, um, with her parents and her brothers. And it was quite a sort of remote uh, location, big farmhouse with a piano in it. And it had a barn which had a sort of type of organ in it. Um, so a dream. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah, that is very much your dream place to live isn't it I think you've you've spoken before about maybe finding somewhere in Scotland that has that kind of remote place where you just don't have to ever see anyone (laughs) Uh, correct Um, that'll be the old autism (laughs) (laughs) well so I think that was kind of an interesting place for her to grow up because it gave her this sort of slightly Bronte-ish Bronte-esque sense Mm. of isolation being um, you know, a little bit apart with her siblings, and they were big influences on her. Her brother, they were older, and they um, still are older, and they um, played a lot of uh, interesting traditional musical instruments. Um, so they were really into kind of folk music, and um, it was all a little bit bohemian and quirky. And she kind of saw them playing all these strange instruments. And I think that very much influenced her direction at the beginning and mm. really throughout her career, actually, as a, as a musician. Um, so there was lots of music in the house from an early age. Her father played the piano um, and her mother was a, was a kind of traditional Irish dancer. So I think there was a lot of um, music and movement and dance in the, in the house. Oh, this makes so much sense. Yeah, <laughs> it does. I think it's important background. So she um, she kind of got into music at around five, um, started writing songs and playing the piano at 11. Um, and I, I think she sort of des- describes those early songs as quite crude and unstructured. But I think by the time she was 14, she started writing sort of proper, sophisticated songs, which I think, you know, likely were well beyond her years uh Mm. and I think there's a you know you'll see with Kate when we think about how old she is all the way through a bit like the Beatles you go well 
that's quite incredible that she's doing X, Y, and Z when she's only 20, for example. Um, it's so depressing. <laughs> I know. Well, I hate it. I always hate it when I hear that, uh, you know, any any uh, singer or artist is younger than you because you're like, oh, what have I done? <laughs> um, I'm Robert. I'm Robert. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah. So um, she wrote loads and loads and loads of songs when she was in her teens. Um, I think she, she mentioned writing f- or recording 50 demos, but other people have said that she sort of recorded as many as 200 um, of these kind of prototype Kate Bush songs. Um, she then gave a, a kind of a demo tape with 50 of them or something to uh, um, a, a family friend who's a guy called Ricky Hopper. Um, and he shopped this tape around to various record companies. None of them were interested in it because, you know, she's got quite an unusual, very distinctive yeah. voice. Um, and they were quite sort of, you know, romantic, almost a bit gothic songs and uh, something that, you know, wasn't an obvious immediate hit, basically. Yeah. Um, and she was only 16 at the time. Um, so eventually the tape landed in the hands of David Gilmore from Pink Floyd, um, who was also a a friend of Ricky Hopper's. Don't know why he didn't just give it to him in the first place, but I'm sure there were reasons. He was really impressed with, with Kate and, you know, he, he got it. I think he got that her voice was something special. Uh, and, but he did also think that the demo tape was very kind of bad quality. So he put down some money. And uh, which allowed Kate to go into a proper recording studio and put a three track demo together. Um, He then got that demo tape over um, to EMI, which was interesting because in the Beatles episode we just had, you were talking about the fact they were signed by Parlophone, which was a um, sort of a a company within the EMI group. Well, here we are again with EMI. And um, the demo tape was, was produced by Andrew Powell, who went on to produce her first couple of albums um but the sound engineer was a guy called jeff emmerich and i don't know if that rings a bell no way (laughs) jeff emmerich produced engineered kate bush Mm -hmm. that is that is so exciting i'm literally i'm reading his book right now about really um, you're gonna have to explain um who he is to listeners who may not uh, oh of course okay so so for non-beatles slash music nerds jeff emmerich um is a sound engineer who and producer but he was 19 when um he just sort of got called up by george martin to become the primary engineer for the beatles and he was bloody terrified of all of them um and he was the one who started really um being innovative with them in the studio and um their their experimental phase after they stopped touring and um he was the one who um put the effects on tomorrow never knows like when john lennon said make me sound like the dalai lama calling from the hilltops to a thousand monks and he's like all right i'll I'll just get this leslie speaker and run the vocals through that um so yeah he's quite um a legend in sound engineering circles there we go so his his part of both of their stories so that's quite exciting that's very sure cool. we'll find a few links as we go yeah. through I think. so um that's link, this is link gonna get one. nerdy yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um Right. So, uh, yeah, so the, the tape got into the hands of EMI. They signed Kate when she was 16, but they then said, you know, we could launch you now, but you are a bit young. And she th- also thought she was a bit young and probably wasn't ready, didn't really understand the music industry and felt that she hadn't quite um, attuned her skills. Uh, and mm. so 
he uh, so so yeah EMI basically said look we really want you so we're going to sign you now but we want you to come back in a couple of years um do what you want for a couple of years just mature a bit basically um and then we'll talk about an album so she went away and she uh although actually i was just listening to an interview that she did in 1978 where the interviewer said so they told you to go away and then come back in a couple of years and she went well no that's not quite right they didn't tell me to go away (laughs) they they signed me (laughs) they signed me and then i sort of uh, grew up for a couple of years um she was a little bit uh sensitive about that uh so she went and got some lessons basically she did interpretive dance lessons with Lindsay kemp uh, who okay, that makes a lot of sense too <laughs> yes who she's very influenced by and we'll talk about him a little bit when we're going through the, the songs um he, he taught david bowie to do a, a similar thing and uh she also had mime lessons so again also very a lot much of sense, interpretive yeah. sort of using ways of using your body to uh show emotions so very much wearing mm. your emotions on your sleeve which I think comes across in the songs as well. Um, yes. And then in 1977, she put a band together called the KT Bush Band, which toured London pubs. Imagine going to see that uh, before she was famous. Amazing. She did mainly covers. One of them that she did was Come Together by the Beatles. And there's a recording of her doing that. I think you've heard it. Yeah, very cool. Um, and then in 1977, uh, she started recording The Kick Inside. And that brings us to uh, to the album, which was released in 1978. God, so she was, what, 18, 19? She was 19, yeah. Wow. Um, wow. <laughs> but, it, it, well... Well, we'll talk about her age a bit later on, actually, because it's relevant to some of the songs. But um, yeah, she was she was young, but very mature. And I mm. think, you know, she had the, the the kind of people say that, for example, when she was doing her interpretive dance lessons, she was a very sort of shy, quiet girl. Um, very, very nice, but quiet. And then she'd start dancing and then she was like a different person, basically. Um, performing just sort of brings out mm-hmm. something in her. Um, so you've listened to the kick inside. Was it the first time you'd heard it? I think it must've been. It's definitely the first time I'd heard it. It wasn't the first time I'd heard Wuthering Heights, but it was the first time I'd heard everything else. So what are your kind of initial thoughts? Ooh, I've got, got a lot of notes. So, so first of all, like I I listened to this, I think like five or six times, um, now. So I've started to familiarize myself, but it's, it feels at first listen, like an album that you have to get to know. Mm. Like it's not like like it's almost like the polar opposite to the beatles where it's like immediately a catchy tune and easy lyrics and you can you can be humming along and then remember it almost immediately whereas like this is like she is not making it easy for you immediately she's not mm. immediately saying this is accessible come and sing along this is for you she's saying this is me and i'm showing me to you and you can either like it or not and she do- i i feel like she doesn't particularly care either way Mm -hmm. she's so it feels to me like she's so boldly herself so like there's a few tracks that really smack you in the face on the first listen that you're like oh wow this is a track and the rest almost feels like sort of one very long cohesive piece of stream of consciousness art it Mm. doesn't it doesn't feel like lots of separate tracks chopped up like there were some tracks where I was like I didn't notice it 
one bleeding into the other. I was like, oh, is that an, a new song? Mm. Um, so like they're not catchy hum along songs. And sometimes on the first listen, they felt to me like sort of poetry set to music. And then on further listens, I was like, oh, no, here's the hook. Mm. Here's the hook. Like I found it. And then once you hear it, you you don't unhear it. But it it just takes it takes a little longer. Um, and also, like, what's interesting is, like, I think I can completely appreciate why record companies were like, what is this? Because <laughs> it had never been heard before. Nothing like the sound she makes had ever been heard. Yeah. And it, it's so interesting to me that she you say that she grew up sort of isolated and and, you know, pre-internet, pre like that connectivity that we all have where I, physical isolation doesn't necessarily matter quite as much in terms of your exposure to, to culture but she I wonder if part of it was that I, I don't know if it's that she wasn't aware that she was that different or she just it, it didn't matter to her. Yeah, I mean, I think I should probably say I've probably over-egged the isolation a bit. I mean, she did go to school and things. She wasn't yeah, home yeah. taught or anything like that. Um, you know, she did very well at school. Um, but I think she's definitely spoken about feeling a little bit like an outsider at school and feeling mm-hmm. like she was very much more, like even at 10, very much more mature than everyone else and um, just sort of felt like she was waiting for everyone else to grow up, which is how I felt when yeah. I was that age, to be honest. Well, maybe not that age, a bit older, but um, yeah, she, I, I kind of relate to that. But I think... Yeah, I you, think, were, you were a little grown up. Yeah, but I think that she when she went home that's when she was sort of slightly more cut off I guess everyone is to some extent but I think just being a bit away from everyone in a farmhouse you kind of feel a little bit more distant don't you it's so interesting that we're talking first of all the uh, I'm gonna get this out of the way because I know it's gonna sound like eye rolly and I'm not diagnosing Kate by like I'm not qualified to do that I don't know her I don't know her personality but what I'm feeling as an autistic person listening to her art is this art feels autistic. Mm. Um, and like I've, I've written in my notes that I connected with it on a, on a, that weird girl at school way, <laughs> um, yeah. which is, you know, the, the feeling of being an outsider, the feeling of being quirky, her performance, you know, if you Google stim dancing, so stimming is something we do to like self soothe. We have to move a lot yeah. to get energy out. And there's a thing called stim dancing that's like an actual thing that that like you know you'll see a lot of young autistic people doing on TikTok and stuff where they move their bodies and they're in their own unique weird kind of ways and everything about her performance her her writing it all feels so autistic to me um so I I I don't know maybe 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 but um I don't think it matters either way. It's mm. just, it's how it, it feels. To well, it's, the, it's certainly going to uh, sort of be part of your interpretation of things. So that's the, the, the way, the ang- that's the lens you're looking at it through because it's yeah. your own lens. So, you know, totally. I think everyone's going to have their own way of listening to the songs. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's going to play a part in your interpretation for sure. Yeah. I think, and I've got folksy melodies written here as well. Which is, yeah. Well, just to pick up on a couple of points that you made. So, you know, you, you talked about po- it feels like poetry set to music. And mm. that's exactly how she describes it, <laughs> um, interestingly. <laughs> so she says that she started writing poems. Uh, well, she started doing two things. She wrote poems and she also uh, t- like took books as and just sort of started playing what was written in the books to music. Um, And then she said that she felt quite, and this is when she was, you know, 
11 or 12 or whatever and she felt quite restricted by the words on the page so she uh then started writing her own lyrics and then realized that she could put her poems to music and that they complemented each other well so she very much is coming from a poetic point of yeah. view and i think you know a lot of the words are are very poetic um and she hones that as she develops as an artist um the other thing that i just wanted to mm. point out is that she, she you know when she says she doesn't really care whether you like the music or not she just it, it it's the music she wants to make and it's she's not trying to win you over really i mean one of the things that she said in that at that time was she wanted to make music that intruded so yes. it didn't just sit there in the background and she's actually um We'll get again lots of things to talk about here. We'll get on later to talk about her views about women. Um, because yeah, I'm really interested in that. Yeah, there's a couple of things on this album where you sort of go, hmm. Um, yeah, but, but she, I think you, she grew up with, I mean, obviously her mother was there, but it was all men otherwise, you know, with brothers and her dad. And, and then she's constantly around men all the time in at EMI with her band you know she's very much a, a woman in a man's world doing this mm. and she's a little bit critical of female artists um including Carol King actually who we mentioned on the, <gasps> the Beatles uh, podcast <laughs> for me yeah I think she's like I don't really like well I don't think she's never she's never really critical but she's a bit she she sets herself aside from artists yeah, like that sure. where she says I'm not really interested in women just sitting there in the background having pretty voices um you know she wants she she she's she says good things about Joni Mitchell um but she also says I don't really like to listen to female singers because I don't want to be too influenced by them it would be too easy for me to just kind of copy what they do and she's very much more mm. influenced by male energy I think um and um we'll get to that later with uh a couple of the songs so. Yeah, because her femininity is it's kind of feral. It's not it's not a pretty like you know like you say sit in the corner and and behave yourself femininity. Mm. It's, it's it's really interesting. But, I I was saying I can't imagine the confidence in your own art to to do something that sounds looks and feels like nothing that exists and just to know that that's the right thing to do like just just to, to have yeah. confidence in that. Well, she always said at that time I just really I just wanted to make one album and that would be enough for me. I'd, I'd have, that would be a success for me to get one album mm. done. So this is her very much putting herself out there. This is my statement. This is me. Um, yes. She had written, as I said, hundreds of songs. And she said she just picked her. She said she just spent that time writing and writing and writing and then picking what she thought were the, you know, what is it? 14, 13 best ones, 13 mm. best ones. Um, and that's where we get to with the kick inside. So um, I think at this stage, it would be worth me Trying to guess your top three. Okay, go for so it. So I'm going to go I'm, Wuthering. I'm remind myself. Well, I'm going to yeah. say Wuthering Heights because I know you like yeah. that one. Um, mm -hmm. Then I'm going to I'm going to say Moving, and I'm going to say Them Heavy People. Let's see. Ooh. Let's see where we get to. Um, Interesting. I'm going to make. An, I'm going to write those down, and then uh, they're locked in. <laughs> okay. Um, heavy people. Okay. Cool. Well, do you want to take us through your thoughts on the tracks then individually? Okay. Well, like, I think it's, some of them is hard because, like, genuinely after five, six lessons, I'm still having to go back and be like, which one was yeah. that? Um, but I've got I've got the notes sort of as I went. Um, so, like, um, there are some tracks where I'm like, oh, yeah, I know which one that was. Mm. Like, it's it, it's got a real hook and others where I'm, like, having to remind myself. Um, so 
track one is moving. Um, it's a it's a sort of a a strange like usually an opening track is like a shit kicker, right? Mm. It's like boom. This is a really like sort of ethereal mm. like slow intro to an album, um, and like yeah, the the lyrics are already really sophisticated and beautifully desperate, and it's interesting that her that her age was what it was because in a way that the yearning is very teenage the mm. sort of the the experience of love is very teenage like how my open arms ache like try to fall for me that's such a teenage yearning that you don't really feel as much in adulthood anymore um and that you can only really capture at that age um and i think like this was on for me where the tune wasn't immediately like i'm gonna be sitting humming along to this right away mm. it wasn't immediately accessible um and it felt a bit more like a vignette than like a, a structured pop song. Like it, this was very much a one of the poems set to music that I mm. was talking about. Um, it's like it's not like an easy song to learn and sing along, but that's that's not what it's for. Um, and I don't think she's trying to like trying to make that what it's for. It's really interesting what you said about influences because I was thinking about how like the Beatles have like a zillion influences and they put them all together in this pot and regurgitate them into something that sounds original. Whereas Kate is just like, where did that come from? <laughs> um, like, yeah. so it's, it's interesting that she, she sort of resists listening to anyone that she might imitate um, yeah. because she doesn't. She, she's um, actually said that all through her career that she doesn't listen to modern music because she doesn't want, well, she doesn't really want to be modern basically. Yeah. I mean, you know, it feels folksy. It feels, you know, it feels like a, almost a traditional, like something that would be passed down through oral tradition. Um, also, she was saying, you give me life before it was a, a 2022, <laughs> like young person saying, I, I sound yeah. so old. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they had that in the 70s and it's just been recycled. I'm not sure. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Well, just to add a, a layer onto that of sort of understanding. So this song is an homage to Lindsay Kemp. Um, So it's really about how he, how she's been influenced by his uh, dance. Moving, got it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think she's written it in a way that can be interpreted like a, uh, a love song, but actually, you know, how my opens are, how my open arms ache is her holding poses, (laughs) you know, as she's dancing. (laughs) Um, And, you know it's i think it's quite literal <laughs> in a way you know oh you can, well that's very autistic you can I'm read not, it very i was just thinking too that. much but <laughs> yeah very very literal um which she isn't always with my literature degree like oh how my open arms ache she's yearning for her lover and you're like no she she was learning to dance in her arms, <laughs> her arms <hurt. laughs> exactly. <clears throat> but i think she's just completely in awe of him and his yeah. and the way that he moves and um you know as long as you're not afraid to feel there's all very you know it's all about like i said earlier putting the emotion out in mm. a uh outward way um and i just love that line of you crush the lily in my soul isn't that a beautiful line and she goes very yeah. high on the on the note um yeah and it's just um gorgeous and i think that she you know really poured that feeling she had of admiration and really idolization of him into the song uh and i think that's why it opens the album because i think this is like well this is where we're coming in we're coming into her having had these lessons having drawn on all this inspiration and having kind of 
you know, she wanted him there at the front, really. Almost it's like a bit of a protection spell. It's like, yeah. here's Lindsay, he's going to make everything good. And this is where I, this is where I come in. Wow. Gosh. Well, I mean, it's interesting you talk about the high notes because my first reaction was like, oh, I don't know about the sound, like all mm. the time. Like when she's always in her high register, it's not easy to listen to, but it's not, like you say, it's not supposed to be. Um, and um, like there's me, like, there's almost a sense of relief when like, say in the next track, which is the saxophone song, she goes into her lower register and I'm like, Ugh. but then the more I listened to the album, the more it had that feeling of, you know, when you jump into a really cold swimming pool and you're like, ah, cold, 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 yeah. cold, don't like it. And then five minutes later, you're like, come in, the water's lovely. What are you, like, what are you all so scared of? And, and that's kind of what listening to yeah. Kate Bush feels like mm. on the first listen. Well, you'll see, and you'll see as the albums progress that her voice does lower. Uh, she kind of, I think she's almost a little bit embarrassed about her voice at the early stages later on, but it, is right for the songs and it's and yeah. it has um this kind of innocence to it but also there's punch behind it as well um uh, so it kind of gives this all-rounded feeling but yeah it does make her sound like a young girl really and i think that's part of the wink that she's giving a lot of the time you know i'm mm. i'm i'm sort of innocent but they also were portraying her in marketing as quite sexy uh, yes. in like well she is very sexy yeah but well she yeah she is but she doesn't she that's quite embarrassing to her i, I think <laughs> she, she's she not uses sexy it like sometimes. they marketed britney spears as yeah this teen but, sex but they did in, they did you know, market her like that they didn't really? really know how to deal with her so she was wearing all leotards and you know very uh there's a couple of pictures of her that have where her breasts are very prominent um and that sort of stuff and that was the poster that they used you know so they 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 did market her like that and I think she she was always I get the feeling she was always a bit embarrassed about it but also had to play the game you know she she had to do what she had to do to get her songs heard um because I interpret her sexuality so differently I I I see it as like this sort of feral unleashed doesn't give a crap sexuality but that's not that's like sort of the opposite of of how you're saying they marketed Well, they didn't know how to really... They needed... A lot of the time, I think because she's a woman, there's a bit of a struggle with how to deal with her. And you hear it in the interviews from the time as well. There's always men interviewing her, of course, and they always treat her... Like I was watching one earlier today from a New Zealand interview from 1978. It's on on YouTube, um, where she... You know, the the interviewer's like you're so fragile. How can you, how are you going to deal with the music industry? Ugh. I know, she, she, but she gets that all the time. All the interviews at that time. Oh, you're such a little thing. You know, how are you going to deal with this big man's industry? Are you sure you're ready for it? Um, isn't it going to break you basically? And she just sort of says, well, I think you're talking about my physical stature and <laughs> you know, Napoleon was very small, <laughs> she says. Um, so, you know, she, she's annoyed by it but also she's in the 70s and there's certain preconceptions and I think the marketing was was sort of you know had to be along those lines otherwise it wouldn't sell but as she gets more control of her career she sort of she still uses her sexuality but in a in a different way in a different way on her terms yeah it's a sort of witchy sexuality it reminds Mm. me of the way that Yoko Ono is sexy 
Mm. It's like, you know, she's she's not conventionally sexy. She's not like, you know, she she's not playing that game, but but it that's what makes her sexy. Yeah. Um it's sort of like you you don't know what's going to come out of her and that's exciting. Um and yeah, I I I really like that about about Kate. Um so so um the saxophone song yeah. um is one where I didn't notice that it <laughs> turn to a different song until the singing started because well, the transition yeah, was so it, seamless it does so you've got the 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 whale song noises at the beginning of moving yeah, yeah. that have come back in to the end of moving and transition you into saxophone song yeah um very folksy melody like feels kind of like a celtic folk song i've got i've got that written down a lot um and okay i've i've interpreted this um, and I'm sure it's, I'm going to be completely wrong now because I cannot predict Kate Bush. Um, but um, I've interpreted this as like that experience of being infatuated with a boy that's no good for you. Mm. Um, like, um, I guess maybe in the 80s, being a sax- saxophone player was sexy. Um, but, um, you know, the the lines like, you know, I, you know, when I go, go re- oh, I've, I've written this down, you know, I go really quiet when I'm listening to you. Mm. And um there's something special indeed in the pla- all the places where I've seen you shine, boy. Is that's kind of yeah, I, that feels to me. And again, I'm I'm, I'm being all literature degree, and it's probably just like um, uh, someone shone a torch in that location, <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, she wrote a very literal song about it. But it feels like when you're a teenager and you're really into a boy and then you you see you go and see his band and you're all moony and infatuated and hang on his every word and then you go back there when he's not there and that's that place has a special association for you um so yeah. I, I think that's, that's exactly I, it i yeah. think and this yeah <laughs> well i mean everyone has their own interpretation and kate would never so kate's whole ethos is well i write the song and i put it out there and it's for you to interpret however you want like i'm not going to tell yeah. you she does sometimes talk about the meaning her meaning behind it but she's like i love when other when people have different interpretations so um but 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 i agree with you on on how i interpret it and um just to again to add a bit of color th- this wasn't recorded in the same sessions as the other kick inside songs okay it was recorded when she was 15 and they used her vocal what? from when she was 15 on it because her voice is so much deeper well, it's funny and, like you said that because some people talk one. about it being higher and uh, <laughs> less strong um and it's i felt the opposite i think it's before she'd quite learned how to push it um yeah. this one doesn't necessarily need that but um yeah so it's it's an I actually think one of the reasons, in my view, they used the the whale to seek into it was to make it a bit like, oh yeah, no, it's still we're in the same era, you know. We're it, this isn't a nineteen year old and then a fifteen year old, you know. Um, yeah. And I don't think you'd notice it if you didn't know, but um, yeah, there's one other track that was also from when she was fifteen, which uh, okay. it'll be interesting whether you pick up on that one. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, so she is a big David Bowie fan. Yeah, I can feel that. <laughs> um, and he, at the time, was in his Berlin phase. And this is... Right. You'll find him in a Berlin bar. He plays a saxophone. Uh-huh. Um, now, she has <laughs> come... She came out and said, this is not about David Bowie. <laughs> um, but mm. this is one of those... You know how we talked last time about trusting the narrator uh, with the Beatles and John, especially? Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't sure. 100% believe her on this one, but um, I think she's having a fantasy. She's a 15-year-old girl having a fantasy about seeing David Bowie play in, Berlin, in a Berlin bar. 
Oh, yeah. I just want to say one last thing about um, the saxophone song, which is as a writer, I'm constantly trying to avoid cliche and find new ways to say, like, I had butterflies in my stomach mm. and never in my wildest dreams would I have come up with a surly lady in tremor, the stars that climb from her bowels. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite Shakespearean, isn't it? It's Shakespearean. It's it's a perfect description of how butterflies feel. It's yeah. disgusting. I love it. <laughs> well, she doesn't have a problem with disgusting on this album. She gets quite no. um, graphic at times. Uh, and no. we'll... Also, yeah. um, I've got uh, the outro sounds like computer game music and I've written jazz scatting to Mario Kart. Um, uh, yes. So, well, yes. you know what? I, I It's a girl's infatuation, but at the end of it, I find it's quite chaotic. The, the saxophone yeah. isn't a nice, gentle saxophone. It's... It's quite uh, sort of all over the place, like like staccato-y mm-hmm. and a bit. It's not quite, as with everything, it's not quite what it seems, you know. Yeah. A lot of her stuff is not quite what it seems. And it's like you'd expect some kind of really lovely bluesy saxophone at the end. But instead, it kind of descends into chaos. But that's what being in love, like for the first time, feels like. Well, it's it feels whipped like giving... up in a whirlwind. Yeah, yeah definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So that's that's really apt. Um, yes, track three, strange phenomena. Um, so like, my first thing was like, oh, the verse isn't very accessible and catchy. Mm. Um, and then you get to the chorus, and it feels like a like a folksy drinking song. Yes. Um, and uh, it feels like something you'd all like sing around the piano at the pub. Um, also got quite eighties synthy video game intro um like we're only in 1978 here though so it's obviously a bit ahead she's ahead of her time there are synths though you're right yeah yeah i've written i like this and (laughs) feels like a proper song um and also um is she into is she into buddhism is she into eastern religion or is she being sarcastic when she's uh, singing on money pad my home uh it's sanskrit isn't it um, yeah, he, well, I think it's, apparently it's a Buddhist she, like, mantra. Yeah. She knew of the phrase, but she says that she didn't know what it meant. In her fan club, uh, she used to have a fan club magazine, and apparently someone wrote in with what it means, and she published that and said, oh, I didn't know okay. that, but apparently it means, it's something like jewel in the lotus or something like that. Um, yeah. But apparently it doesn't, it doesn't really translate very well into English. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the whole song is about, I, I thought you'd connect to it lyrically. It's really about coincidences and how you can you know you think about someone and then you see them the next day or you bump into someone you haven't seen for a long time we've had one of those experiences so and I think they kind of follow you around don't they they do Um, so raise our hands to the strange phenomena I think is is a little bit like your theme tune in a way yeah Um, it's about synchronicity yes well she even mentioned synchronicity in it yeah um uh, it's very much uh the idea of there being these coincidences, which are more than just coincidences. Wow. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought of that. But yeah, that's uh, I'm, I'm going to have to have another listen now and, mm. and listen for that because you're right. That's an anthem. It isn't actually one of my favorites. It's one I've never really loved, but I think it has its fans and it's an interesting idea. And actually for her, it's interesting because a lot of her songs are about character studies, whereas this one mm-hmm. is very much like a concept that she's talking yes. about which is she, she does it sometimes but it's rarer for her to sing about things conceptually track four kite hmm. um again i've written i like this um mm-hmm. so this i this is this feels like the quirky 
playful Kate that isn't taking herself seriously. Mm. Um, like it, it felt like a standout song. It felt really witchy, and uh, what I hear in it is the same sort of humor and like winking to the listener that I love about the Beatles. Yeah, where you're like, ah, oh, you're you're just you're just being yourself, and there's a bit of you that's suppressing a giggle here. Um, and I really enjoyed that, but I don't know if that's a valid interpretation. I have no idea what the song itself was about. <laughs> lyrically, I'm lost at this stage. <laughs> well, I think lyrically, there's definitely a Beatlesy feeling about it. Um, the the well, it's basically it's a well. So she is on the ground, rooted in her wellios, as she says at the beginning, um, <laughs> and she the Beatlesy bit to me is that like there's a hole in the sky where a big eyeball appears and says, <laughs> come up and be a kite, um, yeah. which is quite LSD trip, right? I mean, the whole concept of come up and be a kite is very like getting high. And, you know, and, yeah. and uh, she talks about the diamond night, which I kind of see Lucy in the sky with diamonds. Yeah, it, I was just know. thinking she is the girl with kaleidoscope eyes. Yes. That is Kate Bush. Yes. Yeah. So I think there's definitely influence there. But it's. I think it's basically. Uh, there's a couple of themes that she explores a few times. One of them is you're stuck in the rut of the real world. Come and let loose and be, you know, into the sensual world, as she'll later say, mm. stepping out of the page into the sensual world. Um, but another theme she often explores is this idea of you really want something and then you get it and it's not quite what you thought it was going to be and actually you want out. Um, and that yes. is one of these, this is like the prototype of that song for her where she, is, she finds herself flying like a kite and then she's like, well, actually I don't want to be here. I'd, I'd rather be on the ground uh, and I don't know how yeah. to get down. And she is really regretting <laughs> this because it looked really great but and the grass is always greener but actually it's not so much fun when you can't then land back on the ground so sounds like a bad trip mm, yeah. well yes absolutely I think that's it I think she I think you've hit it on the head really it's uh but it, interesting that for such a sort of jolly sort of sounding song it's got so many different layers to it mm. really and Again, not yeah. one of my favourites. Um, <clears throat> I find it a little bit too jolly. <laughs> but <laughs> it also was an important one because it was the B-side of Wuthering Heights and therefore yeah. the second song that anyone ever heard of hers. Oh, wow. Well, not anyone. See, but, I know, felt like public. it was a song that sort of slaps you awake after being in a bit of a dream for mm, the rest of the... Yeah. Like, for the first few tracks, you're like, oh, I'm floating along in this dream. And then she's like, wake up, bitch. Well, <laughs> like, I think that's right. Whoa. And I think she would use the, you know, the do-do-do. Do, 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 yeah. at the beginning as an intro when she walked on the stage and stuff sometimes so it was a bit of a theme song for her but I there's also that. definitely a bit of a wink about it all like it's a bit as you say it's a bit there's something a bit childish about it but also there's layers it's really validating what I feel about it's an album you get to know yeah it feels like it feels like you go down a level each time you listen mm. each time you read the lyrics like you, there's always somewhere else to go with it um which is very very cool and not at all true of the Beatles early work much more true of their later work but like it's she she was already there you know at 19 she was already there but this is really just the beginning of it like she mm. I, you know there's there's like with the Beatles, there's massive development in the way she uses it. This is her finding her opening statement, really. Wow. Yeah. 
well, may we all find an <laughs> opening statement. Um, my first opening statement was like, uh, I don't even want to think about it, a, a very crap wedding blog um, where I wrote uh, very obnoxious opinion pieces that I do not stand by today. Uh. Um, anyway, um, we can't all be Kate Bush or the Beatles. Um, if we could, then uh, there would be... Uh, it would be a crazy would, world. Yeah, yeah, it would be a mad, mad world. Mm. Um so track five, the man with the child in his eyes, um, up there with my favorites. Um, I love the depth to her voice in this lower register always. Like I, I think that it, she underuses it. Um, and like, it's so beautiful. Um, and I know, I know why she's doing it, but it's still it's so nice to hear it when it, when it comes up. Um, <laughs> it, it feels to me, uh. Like it's about Sorry, an this, imaginary boyfriend. This made me laugh. It's, it, this is the other one she recorded when she was 15. Really? Yeah. <laughs> what happened? Did she, <laughs> you, I think you did prefer... Did she start taking a bunch of estrogen in between? Like... <laughs> I think you prefer her 15-year-old voice. That's really interesting. Uh, that's so funny. No, but I mean, I say that, but I, I know some of her later songs mm. and it's what I love about some of her later yeah, songs as yeah, well yeah. like it's it's sort of that's what hooked me in so I think I think because when you're listening to too much of one thing it sort of starts to get maybe a little and a first lit, listen feel a little monotonous yeah. and like I love it when she just dips in and out a bit so you're like you're reminded that she can that she can do different things definitely um again uh, funny that this is a teenage one because this feels like it's about an imaginary boyfriend Mm. um which i really relate to um i had a lot of imaginary boyfriends growing up and i've just written who hurt you kate Uh, in my notes yeah yeah i think that's it i mean i think it's quite uh the lyrics are quite enigmatic like she doesn't really explain the full storyline but Mm. there is definitely I mean, what she said about it was that she, and this comes back to her kind of views on women and men, that uh, she feels like men always retain a sense of childishness that women don't, interestingly. Um, And that Mm. she feels like older men, it starts to get a bit 70s here, but older men can relate better to younger women because they understand, or girls really, because they have that sense of playfulness. Um, the well, girls Kate, the, the doll's house I'm building begs to differ. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I suspect it's not a view that's stuck with her, but <laughs> it's an interesting one and uh, very 70s. And I think that there's definitely, you know, a bit of a fantasy world going on. The, the man with the child in his eyes, like he's looking at, he's looking at her and she's reflecting in his eyes or he has this childish, childishness within him that is showing in his eyes but there's also definitely this kind of forlorn mm. he's abandoned her sort of feeling to it as well which is uh sad but beautifully produced this one and lovely string section um and uh yeah it's a, it's a very nice song and was this was the second single after Wuthering Heights and it did okay, cause it, yeah it did it well it reminds me of something well what I always found a bit strange is given that it's recorded when she was 15 it's a bit of a weird can you like as a 19 or 20 year old, can you imagine putting out a song that you recorded when you were 15 and saying, this is my, you know, I'm a, yeah. I'm a new artist. You've heard Wuthering Heights. Here's me at 15. I don't know. It's, it's yeah. strange. I mean, yeah. But then, the you know, the Beatles um, also did that. They they put out songs that they wrote sort of at, you know, 16, 17. Mm. Um, there's one called I'll Follow the Sun, which they 
um they put out uh, you know a few albums in i think and um and that was that was one that paul wrote really early on so mm. like it happened i guess maybe there's some that you write that are so good that you're just like yeah or, or you develop them later i don't know but she recorded this when she was 15 so yeah so she didn't develop it like oh yeah i mean incredible confidence to have in your teenage self i i wouldn't want anyone to ever read anything that i wrote as a teenager <laughs> i found my teenage diary recently oh dear. um and uh it's all about a boy called matt okay <laughs> apparently was obsessed with have you changed his name um, to protect his identity or no, no i have not, <laughs> <You> have not. <laughs> no 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 he, he, matt you I know mean, who you he, are matt you are completely innocent in this there's no need to protect your identity you haven't done anything wrong you you, you were just a bystander uh-huh. um like i sat next to matt today and my arm touched his arm and he's probably okay. he was probably so uncomfortable like i've got to move this weird girl has sat right next to me for no reason and she's touching my arm um and then um then about 20 pages in it just says matt had like i, I told what was it i i asked matt out today and he said no no, oh, no. <laughs> says, and, then, and then the rest of the diary is just like i am very sad <laughs> oh, yeah. but you got so, over matt you yeah. got over matt eventually. i got over matt um but what i'm saying is if i was writing the man with the child in his eyes at 15 yeah. i would feel a lot better about people seeing that than mm. matt no <laughs> um also um i mainly communicated in the stickers that came with my diary matt has the nicest lip sticker oh. so it's like early like analog emojis i was ahead of my time too at least you didn't yeah. have sniffer vision or whatever it was you know what was it sniffing oh scratching what was it yeah, yeah no know. no no it was also written in scented pen okay. but, the, but the time that has elapsed between scented glittery pen no less <laughs> anyway um it, Kate's teenage self was a lot less embarrassing and I can understand why she wanted people to hear what she'd written. Um, but uh, yes, uh, not not particularly relatable, is it? Um, so, Wuthering Heights. Yes. Wow. So I always thought of this as... I, I, it's one of those ubiquitous songs. I use that word a lot, I know, but it's, it's sort of... It's just there. You know, you take mm. it for granted. It's, it's so, so famous and so well played. And I've never really sat down and listened to it. Mm. And when I was listening to the album and it came on, I had this like embarrassingly earnest <laughs> experience where I just felt just full body chills. Yeah. And there was no intellectual analysis going on of why or what or what it was I was connecting to or what it was that was making me feel like that. But halfway through, I found just tears pouring oh. down my face and you know that i mean it's probably just hormones um but but also like you know it really dislodged something it really it re- that it really stuck somewhere um and i don't know what what that's about but you know we all know wuthering heights but it was just beautiful and i loved it well, i think it's a feeling that it gave a lot of people when they first heard it that this you know it would come on the radio and people would just say well who, who the hell is this what is this what am i feeling mm. you know why am i getting these these feelings from it yeah, um, it's catharsis, isn't it? Definitely. That soaring chorus. The drama of it all and the yeah, it's it's very dramatic. Um she she it came from this this seed from when she was about nine. Um and she saw the end of a BBC sort of televised version of Wuthering Heights, just the last five minutes. And it's a scene where Kathy, who's a character in the Wuthering Heights book, um the, or the ghost of Kathy is sort of sticking her hand through a window and sort of going, let me in. 
and spoiler alert yes yeah, and <laughs> um she and it really stuck with Kate and she was I think she was yeah. terrified by it and it's stuck in her head for years and years and then she I think there was another adaptation of it later on which she used to flick through the channels to try and see I mean I can't imagine there were many channels to flick through back then but I don't know um and (laughs) and there were three three, and she was constantly (laughs) flicking through them um and she was sort of re-inspired by it and it had always stuck in her head and then she read the book and she then wrote the song and um yeah it's it's interesting it's 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 you know this kind of haunted ghost of Kathy who is there at the window talking to Heathcliff who isn't really in the song he's almost just a kind of a bystander isn't he um you don't really see his reaction you just hear from Kathy's point of view and uh yeah I don't care about his reaction <laughs> no exactly it's all about yeah. her emotion and, yeah. and her um desperation and I just love that line oh let me have it let me grab your soul away wow yeah isn't that great Scary. I loved, I do love the high drama and there's another Beatles connection on this uh, oh, on this on. track. That the uh, the electric guitar was apparently Ian Bernson, who was a core member of the Alan Parsons project. And Alan Parsons worked on a number of Beatles albums. Ah, so there we go. There we go. Because he was a session musician on this, I think. Yeah. I don't think he was. Um, that's one thing that we should sort of mention that she had this KT Bush band, um, and she wanted them to play on the album but the record company basically said no we need professionals and so she kind of had to ditch her (laughs) band she brought some of them back later on but they got ringoed they got ringoed yeah or they got they got steved um (laughs) and yeah so she and and you know she does play piano in some uh songs but actually even even though she's this quite accomplished piano player uh they uh they get another pianist to play some of it just because they didn't quite trust her enough you know they're just like mm, just want a bit of professionalism about this uh, oh just get out of her way <laughs> which they did a lot of the time but yeah, yeah they were certainly and certainly on the next <laughs> album they made they made some choices that she wasn't too happy about but we'll get there later um so yeah Wuthering Heights what can you say really it's just one of those songs that is just a, a yeah. classic and um will forever be in the the sort of psyche of the public i think absolutely and uh, what an end to the first side when, when there were sides to albums side two opens with a bang as well um james and the cold gun which is in my top three ah ah i was thinking about putting that in there yeah and, uh, okay sorry well you know why i thought about it. you might <laughs> like it it's, it's rock and roll which is yeah 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 Good. yeah it's really great it's really really great and um and the the video you sent me of her performing it live yeah. just supplemented my enjoyment of it I, I could just watch her mime shooting men on stage <laughs> all day long and she does and, it a, for a long yeah. time in that video doesn't she <laughs> really painfully long time but you're like please never stop just keep shooting and shooting the fucker for all of us just should... every woman out there just keep keep shooting get not not really mime shooting <laughs> well, don't shoot people don't shoot anyone i i yes. um <laughs> I should say that the video I sent you came from her tour from the the following year called the tour of life, but it's probably the most iconic performance from that tour because she just kind of embodies this Western, you know, uh, outlaw who Mm. is shooting all these people. And I don't know if you noticed very upset about the first person he shoots. 
or she yeah. shoots, but she's kind of playing a man in it. And then after that, kind of loses that empathy and just shoots everyone, <laughs> really. See, I read it as a as a feminist. It's interesting yeah. that she's playing a man because I was like, I was like, this is a revenge song for all women. Yes, uh, but um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's hard to discern quite what she's talking about. But I love. I love the structure of it. I love the the catchiness of it. It it feels punky in the vocals. It feels kind of like mm. you know that kind of, I yeah, like you say, rocky, punky, like big, you know, like shit kicker of a song. It's it's great. I loved it. Well, I think it's the it's probably the rocky the most rock and roll she ever gets. This one, and yeah. she, but she said at the time, I needed a rock and roll song. The album needed a rock and roll song, and and and. We got it in the form of James and the Cold Gun. And I read a really interesting interpretation of this song, um, which is that um, it's a it's a it's a Western where its hero has left and it's trying to kind of find itself, basically. Yeah. So James is this kind of hero, this country and Western hero who uh leaves the town and becomes a you know on the run basically he becomes an outlaw and starts shooting everyone and they are missing him but also trying to find the like themselves again and they're they're begging him to come home and saying remember genie in the casino she's still waiting in her big brass bed like they're kind of tempt trying to tempt him back um but he is forever on the run and isn't coming back and they've got a make peace with the fact that they don't have a hero anymore. Wow. That their hero has turned well, bad. Basically. There we go. Yeah. Gosh, well, I read that all wrong. <laughs> oh, I don't think you did. Like, it's, I, just, but... it's just Kate Bush shooting men. Awesome. <laughs> well, I think she is playing James, but yeah, there's a little bit yeah. of Kate in there, isn't there? Um, yeah. She's enjoying and, holding the gun. And like I said about the stim dancing, mm. like it's, it's so interesting that that, that was, because I was like, there's there's a performance to it and a playfulness for, to it. It feels mimey. It feels almost burlesque in a way. Mm-hmm. And then, but then also it feels like she's just like almost vomiting up her soul in her movements and she doesn't care who's watching, which mm. is really interesting. And that's why it felt like stim dancing to me. That's why it felt like that kind of form of expression. Oh, I've got such a good story to go with that. So you're like so on the on point with that. She said in an interview that, when she was young, she used to just dance to music in the house uh, mm-hmm. without any care. And she would just dance her heart out. And then someone came in and laughed at her. There and she says at that point, <laughs> yep. at that point, she couldn't do it anymore and was embarrassed. And she said ever since then, she's been trying to get back to that little girl who's not afraid mm-hmm. of who sees her dancing. Oh, I relate so hard to that. Mm. I had a moment like that the other day where I was alone in my room and um, this uh, one of my favourite um, Wings songs came on. It's 1985. It's a banger. And I just put it on and John was out at the shops and I was like, just dance, say dance John properly. Is for... John is my husband yeah, yeah. For, for people not, who... Not John know. Lennon, just to... Not John clarify. Lennon. John, John Lennon was out of the shops. Uh, oh, by the way, he, he's fine. Got, got him right here. Um, no, John Lennon, uh, no, John Gibbs, my husband, was at the shops. And um, and I was like, just dance. There's no one here. And I realised that there's a little bit of me my whole life that's always felt like there's someone watching me mm. or might be watching me, even when there isn't. And even when I'm alone, I'm inhibited. And I started dancing and I felt this just euphoria. And I was like, oh, this is what life's all about. I'm going to do this every day. And then the next day I was like, no, it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> Can't do it. 
<laughs> it was just that one moment but like it's it I'm really glad for her that she could be that free and it's really inspiring and I, I want to be that free but um I am awkward and inhibited and uh yes not not like that at all she's doing certainly. it on your behalf she is do it for all of us yeah. Kate what James and the Cold Gun by the way was the song that the record company wanted to release as the first single um that was yeah. their choice and and it's a good uh, you know that would have been great but not as great as Wuthering Heights. No. Well, that was well. Kate actually just said, I, "I think it needs to be Wuthering Heights," and she was, you know, it was quite brave. She sat in basically a room full of male record executives, old male record executives, going, "I think this is the wrong choice." And yeah. wow! Then someone came into the room from the record company, just like some random, and was like, "Oh, I heard Wuthering Heights, and I thought it was amazing." And she was like, "Hmm." And they were like, well, okay, maybe you're right. And they went with her. And really, I just don't, you know, I think James and the Cold Gun is more kind of American friendly, probably. So it may have helped yeah. her American career, but there was nothing to stop her releasing it as a second single, but she didn't. <laughs> I think it was like, <laughs> it has to be the intro or nothing. Um, and, yeah. and it just sort of became a bit of a live performance rather than a, a single. Well, it's great. Um, and uh, yeah, oh. Going, moving on to feel it yeah um yeah this this was another one that felt more like a vignette um and a poem to music like not not one that i'm gonna hum along to no. and one that i sort of have to play to remind myself um what it is um but you know like she she's doing her thing and saying make of it what you will she's not saying clap your hands sing along yeah. you know that's not that's not what she is well this is and actually the only song on the album great. that's just her and the piano there's no accompaniment I mean, the only thing I'd say about it is it's quite explicit sexually. Um, it's, hmm. yeah, it's, yeah. How did I not notice look, that? Well, have a quick look at the lyrics. Um, and it's quite open and out there. And she sang it on her tour, just her on the piano, which I, you know, it's a 20-year-old girl singing about sex in front of a crowd of thousands of people. I think that's quite subversive for the time. Uh, and... You know, oh my goodness! You're looking at the lyrics. Yes, I just, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think quite a brave song. It's not one of my favorite. That's very brave. Yeah, not one, of, not a favorite, but it's uh, it has a purpose basically. She's wear, well, wearing her yeah. heart on her sleeve. Um, she is indeed. Oh, oh, to be in love. Right, another top three. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, for me, it's like bringing in the elements of later Kate Bush production that I really, really love, like the, the kind of backing vocals, the quirky backing vocals, the male backing vocals, um, like the sort of feral and dirty and rhythmic and cool energy. Like she's singing in her lower register a lot. Like it, it's, it's gorgeous. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's an interesting one. It's, kind of a love song but kind of isn't a love song it's a bit of a anti-love song yeah in a way. it really well, is oh to be in love and never get out yeah, again makes it sound like a prison quite trapped and almost yeah sort of trapped in the song itself in a way that she is sort of wanting there to be i think she quite in the song she quite likes a she's it's difficult i'm not quite sure she's either finds herself in a position where she's in love and she's like, oh, no. <laughs> or she just kind of wants things to be a bit 
you know, free and easily and casual. And then love is kind of getting in the way of that. Um, yeah. 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 It, 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 feel, it felt like a lament to me. Mm. It felt like, uh, it felt like, a, oh, here, do I have to go through this? Um, which is like, again, quite a mature perspective for a, for a teenager to be like, because you, I, I, as a teenager, I was like this diehard romantic. It was like, romantic love is everything. I'm like, I want to be in love and it's wonderful. And like, she's like, this is torture. Yeah. I've already figured this out. <laughs> yeah. Which is, uh, you know, I, to figure that out at 19, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And for some reason, this was the only track on this album that she never performed live. Really? I don't know why. That's a shame. Mm. Oh. Didn't make the set list. Would have. Would have liked to have seen that. Um, what's the next one? L'amour looks something like you. Yeah. Again, beautiful to listen to. Um, like, I do not understand. It, 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 it feels like it's also about sex. Mm. I don't particularly understand beyond that. Um, I'm yeah. hanging on the old goose moon. I don't really What does that mean? Yeah, I think that's some Americanism. But I, see. I, I think... You're right. I, I think it's a it's like a one night stand, but with a it's almost like the opposite of Vote to Be in Love. It's a one night stand, but it's with a guy who she just feels completely electric about. Basically, she's mm. completely obsessed with him, really. Um, even though they only had the one night, and all she can think about is him. Now she can't. You know, he was only passing through. She's probably never going to see him again. But she all she can do is keep going back to that night in her head and rather graphically that feeling of sticky love inside she says yeah wow <laughs> <laughs> um uh, yeah she's she's really it's all very you know i'm dying for you just to touch me and feel all the energy rushing right up me it's really uh, straight from the bowels <laughs> yeah exactly it's very graphic but also quite poetic and she's sort of got this way of making things that you don't really necessarily normally talk about into something quite beautiful yeah. and a little bit dirty as well, but beautiful enough that it hides yeah. the dirt. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But you know, that's a subversive thing in itself is like being unapologetically dirty when you're a young woman in a man's world. Yeah. Like that's, you know, that not, not sexy on their terms, but dirty on your own terms. Yeah. Like it's, it, she's expressing her own sexuality. She's not, it's not performative. It's not, it's not male gazy. It's not, look at my, look at my boobs. Well, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, you it's, know, it's, this is how I feel. It's very adult, but in quite an innocent yeah. way. And yet it mm. isn't really very innocent. It's quite graphic. I, I don't know. It's the same with Feel It. Um, but it's one that I think a lot of people don't really like that much. And I've always really liked it, actually. I find it really, I really like the tune. Very nice melody. I think it's, again, a one that you have to get to know. Yeah. Like, it's it's not an upfront, catchy hook that you're going to be singing, like, for the rest of the day. Mm. It's something that you have to, like, put in the time and effort with. And most people won't, as you know, the, yeah. the truth with most music is that if it's not immediately accessible, people just will just move on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Uh, speaking of moving on. Shall we? <laughs> Them heavy people. <laughs> um, so, um, two things. I was hiding in a room in my mind is not only a very John Lennon concept. Mm, where yes, we talked about this, didn't we? Yeah. 
He's always got that room in his mind somewhere that, that those strawberry fields in his mind. Mm. Um, the, the there's a place. Um, all of that. Um, but it's also the most autistic lyric ever <laughs> written. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is you know that's that's what we do we 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 make little rooms in our mind and we go and and we and i don't i don't know if it's something that neurotypical people do if it if it, if it is it's not doesn't seem like all that common experience but it's very much something autistic people do they create these interior worlds and I'm, i really have a question mark over kate i would be so I'd be so curious if like like I want to kind of want to send her my book and just be like any of this <laughs> any of this ringing any bells Kate like just just curious because like you're ringing a lot of bells for me um it's playful Kate again um it's got a catchy chorus um it it's 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 easy to listen to it just sort of goes along um it feels literary mm. and it feels like it needs analysis to understand it the whole album does yeah. but it, you know well it's not like i know what this is about yeah i mean i think that the it's my interpretation is it's kind of like she closed herself off from thinking deeply about things mm. and then she's starting to kind of get interested in philosophy and theology and it's sort of she starts reading books and being taught by these philosophical thinkers and uh she is welcoming it in basically and saying i don't want to close the door to this kind of thought i want to be immersed in it even though in it, in it kind of trains her up even though it also drags her down a bit and she feels the weight of the weight yeah. of all of it them heavy people obviously heavy at the time meant you know something else it means sort of like she meant it like John Lennon meant it, and she's so heavy. Yeah, exactly. But it yeah. also there's a weight to it all, you know. Um, yeah. They they build up my body, break me emotionally. It's almost killing me. But what a lovely feeling. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, one of the few times when things are even better than she thought they were going to be. You know, like um, it, yeah. it it still breaks her, but she likes it. Unlike Kite, where she just wants to get down. You know, like I said, this you know as it resonates with the autistic experience whether that's her experience or not can't possibly say but it resonates and i'm sure i'm probably not the only autistic person and i i would wager she has quite a large autistic fan base quite um it, it feels like it feels like one weird girl to another it's like oh there you are mm. um, but uh yeah room for the life yeah um what the hell is she talking about <laughs> is she is this a is this a is this sarcastic is she bemoaning the the uh, the idea that women are uh there to reproduce or is she championing it i don't i, I can't tell i think unfortunately it's the latter <laughs> oh man um, no okay but, but i think she's <laughs> i think she's trying something i think so we'll, we'll, we'll talk about kate as a feminist as we go along because she she does champion women but she's not as i said earlier i kind of feel like she's around men a lot and yeah there's not a this is one of the few songs in her canon where she is talking to a woman normally there's a lot of male characters um yeah and it's not a particular a particularly successful conversation it's quite preachy um mm -hmm. i have always quite liked the song because i like the melody but lyrically in 2020 it is a little bit problematic 
Yeah, I thought she was being like sarcastic and subversive. Like, you know, women, this is what experience. This is what what is expected of you. You're you're expected to reproduce, and let's not do that. But I think she's um, trying to subvert that and yeah. saying the thing that holds you, potentially holds you back is the thing that liberates you. Um, so she's trying to say you have the power over your body, and that in itself is a powerful thing. But it's a little bit. It doesn't. I don't think she's quite, I don't think the thought quite finishes itself. And, <laughs> but I think she definitely is saying there's a power here in, in your, uh-huh. in our bodies as women. But, yeah. but, but I think it, well, doesn't, yeah, I, I, I don't quite see her point basically. Also, it's, you know, first of all, it's, it's of its time. And second, yeah. At 19, she's probably not aware that uh, womanhood and fertility is like the the thorniest, like most emotionally fraught topic. And like when you're 19, you probably just assume I'm going to be able to have children or whatever. And like for a lot of people, myself included, that's that's not true. Well, one of her one of her later songs called Between a Man and a Woman, the lyric is where angels fear to tread, you go rushing in. And I think that's what she did slightly in this topic. (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is this is why like people are like why are you silent on this issue and i'm like because i don't know what i'm talking about and i don't want to and i don't want to find out what i'm talking about in public that's why um uh, like i don't want like every time i've waded into something before i'm ready i've regretted it so much and i'd be like oh that statement is out there now and like i've revised my opinion and i've learned but like now now it's out there and you can't take that back like the internet is forever and a song is even more forever but I guess in, in that era, they felt a little bit more throwaway. They didn't necessarily feel like they were going to be analysed until the end of time. Mm. And she certainly probably didn't know that she was going to become one of the most iconic artists of all time and her every utterance would be analysed into oblivion. Quite. So, well, I did think this earlier today because I knew that we were yeah. going to have a deep conversation. And yeah. I mean, you and I write music and I was thinking, gosh, can you imagine if someone tore apart every line that we wrote? And sometimes you just write a line and go, oh, that will do. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> that sounds yeah. all right. And, or it means something in the moment and then you yeah. kind of forget. And what we don't you... remember. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it is a bit unfair. But you know what? She put the art out there. And so when you put... When you put a product out there, it is everyone's to uh, analyze and yeah. see fit. And, and as I said earlier, she she loves that about her music. She 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 loves hearing people's interpretations. And then she just sits there smiling and sometimes chuckling and goes, "No, no, no!" Because lo- people go, "Oh, is that not what you meant?" She's like, "No, well, I'm no, you, I love that you had that interpretation. You know, <laughs> fine, absolutely." Um, oh, I hope she listens to this and enjoys she's our. Never going to listen. Us getting this. it completely wrong. Um, <laughs> she would probably she be. Might. Yeah. Well, maybe I can't. Hi, Kate. Hi, Kate. <laughs> we love you. We love you. Sorry um, about room for the life, yeah. but I think you probably agree with us now. But I, I do yeah. like that. You know, you talked about that. There's a. I feel like the sequencing of the album is very. There's a purpose behind every uh, song being next to a song before it, and there's often a link between them. Um, there's uh and on this one you know it's room for the life coming right after the room in my mind from them heavy people as you mm. mentioned um, and then the kick inside and the kick inside you know, coming after yeah. room for the life yeah interesting because um, i was like why is this last yeah. that like because it ends on such a like it's like i've wound you up i've wound you up and now i'm calming you down <laughs> uh, <laughs> sort of or they will get into the meaning behind it and i don't well i'll be interested to see wh- whether you have picked up on some of the 
No, lyrical. nothing. Help me. Oh, dear, really? <laughs> um, well, just while we're on the topic of links between songs, there's another one. Um, periods is a link between two of the songs. Again, don't know if you picked this up, okay. but Strange Phenomenon, she talks about um, every girl knows about the punctual blues. Um, okay. And then, no, no, I didn't pick up that. I didn't, I didn't quite, know what you meant by that That's quite all. a famous for yeah. her canon line because it's she kind of coined that as an expression for a for a period and then um uh, kite starts with the line beelzebub is aching in my belly oh um okay. which i think also is possibly meant to be i don't know and it also links to you know the the, the butterflies of the that you mentioned earlier from saxophone song i don't know there's all this kind of yeah things going on in mm. her body right um as a young girl that is kind of new and uh she's writing about which who writes about that stuff really who who since yeah, has written I mean, about that you know um oh demi lovato okay. <laughs> one that's one i'll give you that one um but yeah it's Just quite five a, years of bleeder student and a teacher there we go period in a song to be fair yeah. it is there are songs but i think in 1978 you know yeah. in, on her <laughs> album this is quite interesting um, I love that I had an answer for that just, I, to, I, just to stymie your point I hate <laughs> that you had an answer for that. <laughs> but you're right and anyway um but cool right the kick inside I'd love to hear what you think I I mean it just it again another another one that felt not immediately accessible and then after after a few listens I was like there, no there's the hook there's the hook um I I didn't understand what she was talking about. Yeah. I really tried. W- what's she talking about? Help me. Yeah, okay. No, well, I can help. Um, so <laughs> this might, yeah, this I, I kind of want to give a give this the justice it deserves, but it is a song about incest for a start. Right. Um, D- wasn't expecting that. And it is a song about, well, it's basically a suicide note left by a woman who is about to kill herself because she has found out that she is pregnant with her brother's baby. And that is what the kick inside is. Was she reading Flowers in the Attic at the well, time? <laughs> it is based on something. So there is a um, f- a traditional folk song called Lucy One, which okay. uh, she takes inspiration from. But in that song, she tells the brother that she's pregnant and he takes out a knife and cuts off her head. Um, so she, (laughs) lovely. (laughs) So she, Kate has made it a little bit more romantic and she's added some mythology in there. So this, this man and a woman who as children have grown up with, uh, Greek mythology, um, and sort of that informs the song really. And, um, she says, I'll send your love to Zeus. Uh, Oh, by the time you read this dot, dot, dot is the end of the song um and so she is yeah so Kate just sort of said you know incest is not spoken about in music so I found it really interesting because I love taboo (laughs) um and there's a reason (laughs) there's a reason um but she's taking it from a very human perspective of okay these two people who found themselves in love um they just happen to be brother and sister and uh this is Mm. this is where well that's that's the that's the song and this is yeah. where it uh this is where it led basically and they couldn't live their life because society wouldn't accept them and therefore one of them had to die 
And that is that is a hot take, Kate. That is like, yeah, I mean, you know, where where else are you going to hear about incest in music apart from on South Park? Who, who knows? I mean, I'm sure there must be something somewhere. But, um, well, Lucy won, <laughs> for example. Let's shut your fucking face, Uncle Fucker. That's, that's all I can <laughs> think, think about. Not, not quite the same romanticism. Not quite. And it's, uh, yeah, I think it's a fantastic song. I think it's really interesting um beautiful and yeah, yeah i mean she would have looked her brothers in the eye and sung that song so <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that that's exactly it when you write a song like that you it, it invites questions doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> well like, all i'll say is you ain't heard nothing yet we'll get on to some other stuff in a couple of albums but, uh, yeah yeah uh, that don't necessarily age very well but um you know hmm love love me do <laughs> <laughs> well i'm sure the beatles have a cup well i mean come on we've we started off with uh you know um she, she was, was just, just 17. 17 you know what i mean you know what i mean yeah 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 so. we did well yeah i mean like i guess my traditional understanding of albums is like you go out on a bang um but like this is i guess you know you, this is you go out on a bang your brother <laughs> yeah and but not just that she called the whole album the kick inside i mean it was yeah she really yeah but it is a great song i mean it is a it is one of her it is a key moment because it's the first that and wuthering heights really are the first real character studies where she just takes on the persona and goes okay i am a person in a strange situation yeah this is my story and she just embodies it. And that is something that she really takes and runs with as her, her career progresses. And that is I do love that. The, an exciting part of it. And you do have to open your mind up a bit to, to her yeah. thoughts and her, you know, she does like to subvert things and she likes to go, huh, you think incest is a bad thing? Well, hang on a second. Have you thought about it from their perspective? You know, yeah. um, so she will. And that's very teenage, isn't it? <laughs> like, she uh, like debating society kind of. <laughs> Yes, it is, but it's something that sticks with her. So you yeah. know, she she will um, all the way to. I mean, her her last album from twenty eleven. She's got a song from the point of, of view of um, uh, oh, I've just lost the word from Bigfoot. Um, so you know, like, hey, have you thought about how Bigfoot feels? You know, it's, it's the same thing. Uh, Walking around, tripping over himself all the time. <laughs> well, exactly, it's a exactly. So. Um, we'll get onto that in a few years' time. <laughs> Poor wee teenage Kate there, deleting her browsing history. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so what are your overall thoughts then after you've heard a bit more? I mean, it's beautiful. Um, it's different. It's weird. I, I love I love her confidence to put that into the world mm. and to put herself into the world. And that that there was even like someone who heard that and was like, I know what this can be. Mm. Um, that Jeff Emmerich was involved is really exciting because mm. he was such an innovative sound engineer, and it, it feels quite like a perfect choice for her. Um, and yeah, just very excited to hear how how she develops in the in the coming albums and and where I'm already hearing little bits of what where her production goes and and where her vocal style goes. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I'm he- hearing the ingredients. So I'm very excited to hear the rest. Excellent. And I put, I said your favourites would be Wuthering Heights, which I think, yes. Yes. Uh, and I think I got the other two wrong. You did. Moving and them heavy people. But I th- yeah. what did you have? You had... I think it was James and the Cold Gun and Man with the Child and Love. Oh, oh, to be in um, love. Man with the Child and Eyes was up there. Yeah, definitely. Love, yeah. Uh, yeah. See, that one I wouldn't have necessarily known. You see, I, I think there is a part of the album, the Feel It, L'Amour Looks Something Like You, Oh, to be in love section, where yeah. that they there are all kind of love songs in a way, or love, lust, anti love songs. And I feel like those merge a little bit. Um, mm. But interesting that one of those was came out as, as one of your favorites. Yeah. Mm. We all hear different things, don't we? We do. Oh, um, so what's next, Rob? Well, for Kate, we're next going to Lionheart, which was released in the same year as The Kick Inside. Um, So she released two albums in one year. Um, And it's a little bit shorter at 10 tracks. uh, And we'll see what you make of it. Same production team. Uh, You know, everything is sort of the same. uh, But there's definitely a difference in the sound of it. So let's let's see what you think. I'll listen out for that. And uh, the next Beatles episode will be with the Beatles and, and we'll be doing Oh, that really? Next. They'll be, are they coming along? <laughs> <laughs> yes, they will all be there, all of them. We will be exhuming two of them. And uh, uh, <laughs> yes, the, uh, we'll see um, We'll see if we can get Sir Paul on. Yeah. Paul, if you're listening. If you're listening, Kate, yeah. Y- you and Kate hanging out listening to this? Can you imagine? Give me a call. Yeah. Um, you know my name? Look up the number. <laughs> That's the Beatles reference. Oh, I see. Oh. Okay. Yes. I'll, there we go. I'll get to that later. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we are at Beatlesbush on Instagram. See you next time. Bye. Bye.